This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. With me today to discuss nonprofit hospital CEO compensation is the Lown Institute's Dr. Vikas Sani and Ms. Judith Garber. Dr. Sani and Ms. Garber's bios are posted, of course, on the podcast website. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, you're both very welcome. Very briefly on background, podcast listeners are well aware the U.S. suffers from extreme wealth and income inequality. For example, during the pandemic, U.S. billionaires' wealth increased by 62%. Listeners are also aware economic inequality significantly explains health inequalities. For example, see my essay in Stat News I posted in late December titled The Unrecognized Tragedy of Working Class Immiseration. Concerning CEO compensation in the healthcare industry, the highest 10 paid CEOs in 2020 were paid on average $20 million. By comparison, according to 2020 data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average salary for a BSN nurse is $80,000. With me again to discuss their recent research concerning nonprofit hospital CEO compensation is the Lown Institute's president, Dr. Vikas Sani and its senior policy analyst, Ms. Judith Garber. So again, welcome to you both. Let's get into this directly. So you begin your uh, your published work by noting, um, and again, I'll note this was published uh, February tenth uh, in uh, Health Affairs. Uh, you cite other research to begin your article that noted. During the pandemic, while hospital workers were furloughed and experienced pay cuts, 80% of hospitals, you note, paid CEOs bonuses. Can you say more about this? Sure. So there was a lot of optics during the pandemic that made CEOs um, say, oh, we're going to take a temporary pay cut. Um, but when some of the researchers have looked at exactly how much was cut and for how long, they found that the vast majority of CEOs only um, cut their salaries by, I believe, about 30% and only for a few months before sort of raising it back. A couple of CEOs uh, cut their salaries down more, but it seemed like this was more of a PR move to um, cut their salaries as opposed to a real systemic change in how they're paying hospital CEOs. Okay, thank you. I also have another uh, warm-up or preliminary question here as well. You do note also that um, before detailing, again, your research findings, you explain in the nonprofit sector world, hospital CEO pay is the outlier, and you provide some statistics. Could you provide an overview of uh, how and to what extent that is the case? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the key here is that it's nonprofit. Um, so what we did was, you know, we, we wanted to understand how do they look relative to these other <clears throat> nonprofit organizations. And, you know, so there are various reports out there. This one from the Economic Research Institute. So most nonprofits, you know, CEOs make 100 to 200,000. I think this was 
data from 2018 or thereabouts. Um, now, there are uh, hostile CEOs are outliers. There's another outlier, and those are university presidents. So I think most uh, listeners would recognize that healthcare and or big health and big education, if you want to coin those terms, you know, it makes sense that they're outliers. We know that that's where there's been enormous price increases and they're large complex institutions. But it is nevertheless an open kind of issue when these organizations have nonprofit missions, uh, how and to what extent is CEO compensation consistent with those missions. And so uh, <clears throat> what we found, for example, was that CEO, uh, university CEOs from that study uh, were paid on average about $350,000 and hospital CEOs were paid on average about $600,000. But when we you know, looked at it further, and this is probably true also within universities, that there's a lot of uh, inequality within the sector. So at the very, very top, you'll see nonprofit healthcare giants, uh, those CEOs making you know, over $10 million. I think we cited in, the, in our article that uh, uh, Bernard Tyson of Kaiser Permanente made 18 million that year. Uh, and it's definitely the case that um, compared not just to other nonprofits, but even to nonprofits with similar revenues. So, for example, in healthcare, other areas, for example, the American Red Cross, they have about three and a half billion in revenue, as does the Oaksner Clinic. And uh, in both cases, the CEOs make, you know, very good money compared to the average American. But in the case of American Red Cross, uh, $3.6 billion in revenue, uh, the CEO was paid about $800,000. In the case of Oaksner, $3.4 billion in revenue, uh, the CEO made about $5 million. So clearly, you know, healthcare is different. And of course, we could talk at length about all the ways it's different and why at various levels it may make sense for hospital CEOs to make more than your small nonprofit community organization. I, I certainly would get that. But it does raise these questions about how do we decide and, and what does it mean to be nonprofit, especially when you're, you're really a big, big business. Thank you. So let's, let's, let's spend another question before we get into more in, in, in an interpretive discussion. So uh, this research is via your institute's hospital index or hospitals index. And as I read it, it looked at pay equity at a thousand nonprofit hospitals. And what you do here in part or possibly largely is you look at ratios of uh, a CEO's wage to other workers' wages. And as you suggested, uh, CEO wages compared to um, within uh, nonprofit hospitals and, and beyond also within the nonprofit sector. But uh, explain a bit more again about uh, what you actually found uh, relative to these um, salaries. Yeah, so let me just explain uh, what we did. This is part of a larger project, uh, the Lown Hospital Social Responsibility Index. And um, what we reported in Health Affairs is a subset. And the reason it's a subset is this is the group for which we had actual numbers. We 
had a number of hospitals, both for-profit and non-profit, where we really didn't know, despite our best efforts, and believe me, this was quite a heavy lift for us to gather all this information. Um, and so there's a number where we couldn't get it. And since we weren't really interested in what an individual person is making, we wanted to understand the, the, the kind of dynamics and the ratios. We thought that we could do this by looking at ratios. And in particular, we imputed for some of these uh, statistical methods for, for estimating uh, what the salary of the CEO would be and compared it to the average worker. But for the data that we presented in health affairs, I want to make that clear, but we threw out all the imputed and just reported on those that we had the actual data from IRS forms or public records of various sorts. Uh, and, you know, what we found were, was that there were, you know, lots of variation in the ratio. The national ratio is eight to one. That's what we found. Now I'll point out compared to, you know, other areas of the economy, uh, eight to one is pretty modest. Uh, if you're used to the CEO compensation compared to the average worker in the automobile industry or high tech or any of these things, mm -hmm. uh, these are modest. Eight to one is very modest, but within healthcare, you know, you see a lot of range. You can see ratios uh, as high as, you know, 10, 20, and, you know, the highest is uh, something on the order of 40 and, and beyond. So that's kind of how we looked at this and how we presented it in the health affairs piece. Uh, we looked at different types of hospitals and tried to understand, you know, what are the factors that drive this. Thank you. Yeah, among the factors. Go ahead, Judith. Among the factors we looked at, um, we found that size of the hospital really matters, as you might expect. The more revenue is coming through the hospital, the more beds you have in the hospital, um, the higher we found the ratio, the pay equity ratio. We also found that teaching status and urban location seem to impact pay equity ratio, um, which also makes sense a little bit. You know, a lot of these large academic medical centers, you're not only managing the hospital side, you're also managing medical residents. It's affiliated with the university, so there, it would make sense that there may be some additional cost to that. But something that was interesting, what we found was even among hospitals that are the same size, that are both made, they're both both teaching hospitals, they're in the same city, still can have really different pay equity ratios, and they can pay their CEOs quite different amounts. Right. Thank you. So on the extremes, uh, as you noted, the larger the hospital, the greater the ratio. So for large hospitals, uh, you show in a table of 14 to 1 ratio. Uh, the extreme um, for the um, hospitals with uh, the, the, the greatest uh, ratios is as high as, as uh, Dr. Sandy, you noted, uh, 26 to 1. So it's it's really the finest. Oh, well, it's... It, it Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that's the average ratio for the for the bottom fifty, 50 in correct. our ranking. It's twenty six to one. But actually, within that, so again, there's inequality within the inequality. Within that, it ranges from eighteen to sixty. So the highest ratio we uh, calculated was sixty to one. Okay, let's get into uh, what you found relative to explanations or what explains. Uh, 
uh, CEO compensation. I, I think I think some of this is probably um, interpretive or intuitive. You don't get into a detailed conversation, and it's, I'm sure it's largely unknown. But I think we can make some sense of how it's rationalized or explained. Well, you know, I, I think that fundamentally our hospital sector is organized as, you know, an individual capitalist enterprise in a market-based economy. So in that sense, you know, you have to meet, you have to make your numbers. You have to, you know, stay in the black. You can't be losing money every year forever. And so what that means is that that's the imperative and that really drives the kind of more, the core aspect of an understanding by everybody, primarily in the leadership and, and on boards about what really matters. <clears throat> you know, what really matters is to stay in business and how do you stay in business? You make sure you have revenue. So the way in which you get revenue is not, really determined by the leadership of the hospital. It's determined by the structure we have in our healthcare system. You know, who pays? How much do they pay? How is that determined? What are the margins for different lines of service? Can't, do you have control over certain things and not others? When you add all that up, then what you find is that the degrees of freedom of senior leadership in a hospital uh, are, are going to be oriented towards the things that maximize revenue by and large. Uh, and so in that sense, you know, the, the, the phrase heads in beds, right. you know, keeping your beds full is in fact a revenue model. And so it's not surprising that size number of beds would, would scale directly. I mean, you know, it, it's almost, I mean, part of me wants to be contrarian and say, well, why, are, why am I even doing this? Because it's obvious that that's what, <laughs> that's what somebody would do. But our goal really was to ask some counterfactuals, like, well, what if we started valuing other things the way we say we want to do in healthcare? How might we reconsider what compensation looks like? Um, so, uh, you know, I think, Judith, you, you may have some other thoughts on what you saw in, in the various analysis. It's clear that teaching hospitals, teaching status plays a role. Um, exactly how that works, I'm not sure. There may be a prestige element. There, you know, there's probably some co uh, correlation or collinearity with, you know, big urban centers where, where uh, cost of living is higher and uh, teaching centers. And so teaching hospital CEOs are likely to make more. So there's lots of, you know, cross correlations that are undoubtedly playing a role. I think we'd be, you know, foolish to try to, to, to pin it on any one thing. Yeah, because something you said just gave me a thought, you know, we talk about heads and beds, the importance of filling your hospital beds. But in COVID, you know, we had hospitals that were overrun with patients, but we're also losing money at the same time. And that's something that it just shows something strange about how our hospital system works. Like you said, how, how revenue in hospital works is the privately insured patients getting elective surgeries are really at the core of a profit model for a lot of hospitals. And so I, know, I just found that interesting that you can have all these hospitals with long, long lines, you know, 
and yet they're still losing money. So I think maybe part of what CEOs have to do is not only balance volume, but balance, like, like you said, the profitability of certain service lines, et cetera. And it's a question about whether maximizing that, maximizing privately insured patients for elective procedures is what's best for the community and for community health. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, any sort of regular <laughs> civilian outside of healthcare, you know, might might have trouble kind of understanding how it is that you could be, you know, chock full of patients, really ill patients on deaths or people who need a hospital. That's what hospitals are for uh, and could be losing money. And, and I think, you know, that fact kind of brings it into very sharp relief, high relief, that what's going on here isn't really about volume of sick patients. It's about which types of things get paid more and which types of things don't. And so that, that's a dimension that's unrelated to, you know, what the board decides to pay the CEO, but it clearly impacts it. Right. So it's a combination of uh, payer mix, uh, as Judith, you suggested, commercial plans pay uh, some multiple typically of uh, Medicare reimbursed rate. And then of course, uh, with the specific uh, service or procedure, surgical, of course, more uh, DRG uh, heavy reimbursement. Um, so all those vari- variables play a part. The the other uh, question I had, and maybe I'll just note this before we get to your discussion about uh, criteria in determining CO compensation, and that is the, the reality that there's been a dramatic growth in CEO compensation over the past few years. And I don't think that's um, unique to the uh, healthcare industry. I think in most large uh, sectors in the U.S., we've seen that uh, CEO compensation really uh, has uh, risen dramatically, particularly since when you look at uh, non-college degreed workers, uh, their wages have been ostensibly flat for the last uh, four plus decades. But let's go to your conclusion where you note uh, you suggest criteria in determining CEO compensation. You list uh, seven uh, elements. I'll just note a few. Uh, Size and complexity, uh, whether there's some maximum acceptable level. Uh, You note whether there should be some norm regarding the most uh, equitable multiplier between a CEO pay and general employee pay, and then you go on uh, to note uh, a few others, including, of course, as as noted, uh, Dr. Sani, uh, relative to um, total gross revenue. Um, my question is relative to the determination thereof. You note that nonprofit hospitals should be measured by the value they create, and this particularly struck me because uh, this issue of healthcare value I found uh, interesting for many years. We we generally don't measure for value. Uh, typically defined as outcomes achieved relative to, or spending achieved rather, relative to outcomes. So when you say uh, non-profit hospitals should be measured by the value they create, both um, business value and social value, could you say more? Sure. Well, um, I mean, the business value is, is kind of what you're saying, which is, you know, it's not some heterodox idea. It's a pretty orthodox right. view that, it's not just the volume and it, it really ought to be, you know, relatively speaking, how much health or how much 
uh, wellness or, or what are your outcomes and relative to how much you're spending to get those outcomes. That ought to be a metric and ought to be metric throughout. Now, I will say that uh, folding that metric in when the, the kind of compensation structure doesn't factor it, when the revenue model doesn't factor it, it, it is an invitation to chaos because the CEO is not going to be able to manage against the value they create if their revenue model really doesn't even reward them for it. So, so it really implies that you have to have a restructuring of the payment model. And, you know, so I personally, my personal bias is that it really ought to be globally budgeted and that globally budgeted hospitals um, would allow a whole lot of flexibility, would give CEOs a whole lot of flexibility. So they're not worrying about a particular service line and they're not particularly about, worried about a, a particular you know, profit margin. Mm-hmm. And they can really factor in, you know, the whole population that they're taking care of. So, so that's one. But the community value piece is squishy, and, and I admit it's squishy, but it doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean there aren't ways we could factor it in. Um, so just to you know, take off from, from what you said earlier, and it's also in our, in our uh, post at Health Affairs, you know, this has been a long trend uh, building in the last 10, 20, 30 years. And it's not just in healthcare, of course. So there's been rising inequality throughout the society, and there are many dimensions of inequality within healthcare. Uh, Certainly the topic we're discussing, but interestingly, I don't don't know if anybody's looked at this, but the disparity just amongst doctors, for example, uh, the disparity between, say, a community pediatrician Mm -hmm. uh, who would be at the lower end of pay and say an interventional radiologist or an interventional cardiologist or a neurosurgeon or something, you know, it would be interesting to see how that pay gap has changed in the last 20 or 30 years. My guess is it, it mimics everything else. And so there are these secular trends and those trends, they're not built into the DNA. They're not in the water or the air. These are cultural factors, but they're also policy elements that emerged 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so it raises the question, okay, well, is there a way to define value from a community point of view? So hospital boards are the ones who uh, you know, award CEOs their compensation. The hospital boards have themselves, themselves become more sort of corporate, corporate-minded in the last 30 or 40 years, meaning there are people from the private sector uh, who are on hospital boards so they'll bring their culture, their values, their way of doing things into the hospital setting. It really wasn't true. I mean, I'm now an old timer, but, you know, the old timers when I was young used to say, you know, this is all, all changed in the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. Uh, so it is possible to imagine a, a changing culture if hospital boards really are, are interested uh, in which your peer group is not necessarily always going to be the CEO of Apple. You know, and and your peer group may well be some other model. And if that's true, then having community involvement, community engagement of various sorts in hospital CEO compensation would be a way of trying to figure out what is the value from a community perspective. So I throw these out mostly as experiments, thought experiments, mostly to illustrate that if we're serious about this, we need to widen the lens. We need to start thinking differently. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, Judith, I'll, I'll ask you for comment, but I'll just note here quickly, I, in my thinking reading this, I, I connected the dots between this issue and, the, and uh, community benefit. So, you know, not-for-profits have to demonstrate community benefit. That's measured in different ways. Um, you know, the standard, of course, is how much annually do they provide in charity care. Uh, and this is to legitimize their, their tax status. Moreover, so my question is, is this appropriately uh, an issue for discussion under uh, community benefit provisions that are legislated? You do know the Affordable Care Act uh, modified uh, community benefit uh, obligations for nonprofit hospitals. Uh, and then just to expand that question, um, you say in your conclusions that it's time for public discussion on this issue. So I immediately think, should this be, and since the uh, uh, social uh, U.S. insurance, Medicare, Medicaid pays for a substantial amount of total health care in this country, uh, 30 to 40%, is this an issue issue for those programs as well? Uh, Yeah, so I'll just say I, I, I think community benefit spending and community benefit investment should definitely be a part of how CEOs are evaluated and their, their impact on community health. That this should be part of the conversation because, like you said, hospitals, nonprofit hospitals are required to provide some kind of community benefit, usually charity care, but also community health improvement activities, uh, free health clinics, uh, mental health services. A lot of hospitals do this in different ways uh, based on what they've identified as the priority health needs of the community. Mm-hmm. But I find it problematic that. You could have a hospital, a safety net hospital, where, you know, maybe 40% of their expenses are going to charity care, and they're caring for many more Medicaid patients than their neighbors, but their CEO isn't paid as much as the CEO of a nearby hospital that doesn't care for as many um, uninsured patients. And I, there's very, very, very little inconsistency or correlation at all between spending on community benefits and the CEO's pay. So I think that should be definitely more of a consideration. Okay, thank you. Uh, but my follow-up or related question is, should this be an issue or concern for federal uh, Medicare, Medicaid policy persons? So for example, I'm sure you're well aware uh, MedPAC and MACPAC make recommendations to the Congress about uh, policies in those two uh, areas. Should they should it be an issue for their consideration, for example? Sorry, should community benefit or pay equity? Or, no, or pay, pay, pay equity. So for, particularly for, as you know, there are safety net hospitals, uh, essential hospitals. You probably know there's, a, there's an association of essential hospitals mm-hmm. who disproportionately serve Medicaid uh, beneficiaries. Um, as you said, otherwise termed safety net hospitals. Um, should this be a concern of, to Medicaid federal policymakers? Well, I mean, I think it's natural for it to be a concern, particularly with regard to the question of are, you know, are the beneficiaries, both Medicaid and Medicare, are the beneficiaries getting the attention uh, and, and the kind of care they need from their community hospitals? How they do that, I think, is, um, you know, up for discussion. I, you know, C, 
CEO compensation is really not for the federal government to dictate, and I, and I wouldn't want to see that myself. So I'm not clear how it would emerge, but there's no doubt in my mind that the concept that there's more to value than uh, you know just the, the top line, and mm-hmm. in a sense, there's more to value even than the bottom line. Um, you know, so safety net hospitals, you know, they have lower margins, right? Not only do they have, you know, on average, they're going to have less revenue, but they have lower margins. So they right. have less to work with. So, you know, they're really marching, uh, trying to, uh, you know, walk uphill with this stuff. And to the, uh, and if there's anything that the COVID pandemic shows us in my mind, it's that uh, we're all connected and our health is all connected, whether we like it or not. And that if, if we don't have a healthcare system that can take care of people uh, properly, it's going to get to all of us one way or another. And so I do think there, there is a, an interest, a common interest. And in that sense, there's an interest from, you know, I think MACPAC, MedPAC, to look at some of these other dimensions of care. Uh, both racial and economic inclusivity, for example, uh, just the equity side of, of the ledger, as well as questions, as you say, of, of you know, what is the uh, community benefit given the tax exempt status? And on all those counts, I think there's a real conversation to be had. I don't think MedPAC and MACPAC, I, I'm having trouble imagining how they could in, in, a, in a, any productive way, weigh in on the question of CEO compensation, however. Well, at minimum, yeah, I think, you know... Go ahead, Judith. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Medicare and CMS, they measure a lot of these things that they think are important, patient safety, patient satisfaction, all that. And sometimes there are financial penalties for hospitals based on those metrics. And... and I think having there be a financial impact does, you know, get CEOs' attention. It gets the attention of executives because they don't want to get this penalty. So attaching a financial dimension to it certainly makes it part of the equation. Um, But I do think there needs to be some expanded looking at equity metrics, making sure that these readmissions and other um, things that they're financially penalizing hospitals for are adjusted for socioeconomic risk when when necessary um uh yeah but should they be looking at how ceos are compensated based on cms's metrics this is a tough question i don't know if that's medicare i feel like that's more on the irs review since that's what they're supposed to be regulating in terms of how nonprofits pay their ceos right a treasury department issue correct yes 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 well, that was my last question. I'll I'll leave it to uh, either or both if you'd like to make a final comment and maybe start with Dr. Sani. Sure. Uh, I think the purpose of this project and I think what we've been trying to convey is that it is time uh, for many reasons to re-examine all the different factors that go into uh, compensating senior hospital leadership. And CEO, of course, is, is the one we focused on. But really, we're talking about the C-suite in general. And if we're going to do that, and we're going to be true to this general view that we need better value in healthcare, then we need to begin to look at what value means. 
And we need to begin to changing incentives, changing and, and aligning incentives, including compensation incentives in that direction. And I don't think that's really happened. I think uh, uh, boards and boardrooms are going to need to educate themselves a lot more about healthcare if they're going to be able to do that. Because traditionally, hospital boards you know, many of them, certainly in small and medium-sized hospitals, tend to be community leaders who don't know that much about the complexities of healthcare and are more likely, I think, uh, to to just sort of, uh, uh, you know, let inertia and past practices be the guide. Right. And I think we're at a moment where we need something different. Great. Thank you. Judith? Uh, I, I think our piece puts it into context about how we got to this moment in history, how hospitals have grown to become not just charities, but they're really big businesses. And there's this vicious cycle of paying nonprofit hospital CEOs more because you have to compete with the for-profit sector. And and as, you know, million dollar salaries become more common, this becomes the norm. And then it's okay to pay more and more. It's driving up all these factors. Um, But like other aspects of healthcare and hospital care, I think COVID has sort of given us a chance to pause and rethink all of these elements. And so we should take that chance. We should, you know, there's no reason why it needs to keep going up and up and up. We're in this moment of um, huge inequality and there's, there's been reckonings on this in a lot of different sectors and uh, hospitals should be no different. Thank you. So the, the phrase that came to my mind is, uh, you know, you often hear associated with the hospital industry is gold plated. And per your point, Judith, particularly, I mean, since we're moving, uh, continue to move, I think, appropriately to pay for performance formulas and various, you know, total cost of care, bundled episode payments, et cetera, sooner or later, you would think that would be reflected in C-suite, uh, Dr. Sandy, your point, and uh, C-suite uh, compensation. So with that, I thank you both for being generous with your time in this discussion, and I wish you well in your future-related work. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.